Welcome to Facts and Figures City Watch on the Air, or FFC as we call it. One of the things we're pleased to bring you occasionally is, of course, the interview with business people doing things, especially in the Los Angeles area. One of them, of course, is Larry Miller of Sit and Sleep. I'm sure you all know about Killing Me Larry and Your Mattress is Free. Uh, We had a chance to speak on the phone a bit, and I thank you for joining us here today, uh, a bit about how you got started. And in the middle of, of the recession, uh, and everybody else was closing their doors or trying to keep keep a few doors open as opposed to several, you expanded. You actually got larger. And I'm wondering how you decided to go against the grain that way. Well, first of all, the way we got started is my father, Phil Miller, and I, about 35 years ago, uh, birthed sit and sleep out of the ashes of a failed business. We didn't bank- get bankrupt, but we were we were barely breathing. We changed our trade style to sit and sleep from another business. Um, the idea was to carry futons, sofa beds, and day beds. Therefore, the name sit and sleep. We were not a mattress store per se to start with. Um, I had gone to Japan in 1971 and slept on futons. I thought it would be a wonderful thing to bring to LA. My father thought I was crazy, of course. <laughs> um, and uh, we, we eventually brought them in a, a few years later and uh, they sold believe it or not. Uh, We were the first commercially successful futon retailer in Los Angeles. Um, You know, we, our business was very, very tiny at the beginning. Um, We started the business with less than $20,000 worth of capital. The chance of it growing into a very large business or more medium-sized business, however you look at it, was maybe one in a million. Um, We were really um, you know, it was very, very undercapitalized and it was a very difficult economic time for us. But I was you were too stupid basically to quit. You know, I think I was too dumb to quit and I didn't know what else to do with myself. So we persevered. We kept showing up seven days a week, you know, 12 hours a day for many, many years. And eventually um, we switched our business from the futon idea to, a, you know, more permanent sleeping surface, which is mattresses. Um, we went on the radio in, uh, gosh, in the 80s on KBC Talk Radio. Uh, I believe we could afford four overnight spots at $25 a spot on the old Ray Bream show. $25 which, a spot? Oh, my gosh. That's okay. it. That's what it was. It was four per night. My budget was $500 a week back then. That was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We now spend well north of a million dollars a month to see the difference in the size of our business. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was slow, slow build. But fortunately, we found a talk station that really held the attention of the consumer um, and we learned to you know, crawl and then walk and grow our business that way. And we're going to do a little bit more about crawling and walking and, and running the businesses. And we're, one of the things we're going to do running a business is running hours, and we'll be doing that uh, right after this. Double your pleasure, double your fun. That's the statement of the great man. Double income. Double your sentiment, your merriment. Double your moment of fun. Double your delight. My friend John and I think the road rules. We've got lots of ideas on where to go. Unfortunately, we're a little low on bucks. I'm thinking we're going nowhere fast. Then John found out about this Greyhound two-for-one companion fare. We can go just about any place, anytime, and we only pay for one ticket. Two for the price of one. And there's no hassles because we only have to buy our ticket three days before we go. So John, if you're listening, I got one thing to say. 
you the man. The Greyhound two-for-one companion fare. Call now for details. Special conditions apply. Okay, we are back, and we were talking with Larry Miller of Sit and Sleep about growing your business, running your business, and you were talking about the radio station that was talk-oriented, and that's how you got uh, the first commercials going. Yeah, that was the first all-talk station in L.A., and one of the first in the country was KBC. It still is a, a major station in the market today, and we're still... Um, grateful customers of KBC Talk Radio. Uh, you know, 35 or, or 40 years later, however long it is that we've been on with them. Um, great relationship. What we found is that talk format, conversational radio, was the most memorable. Uh, people would be listener interactive, just like your show. When people are talking, they're a little bit more focused than music. Uh, and we found that to be a great device to to advertise our and promote our business. Well, where uh, did the idea initially to to begin an expansion, especially as I said before, in a real recession? Where did you decide? You just sat down and said, "One day I'm going to expand no, the business." Or? No, you know what? It was a big fight. My dad, God bless him, and he's gone today. I wish he was here today to see what we've grown to be. Uh, my mom and dad were, you know, were you know behind me 100 percent, but. My father did not want to expand the business. Um, in 1996, I decided, well, 1995, I wanted to expand. He did not want it way before the recession. And uh, you know what I decided to do is buy him out of his share of the business. He became a you know, partner, partner emeritus, but um, I went ahead with uh, Nelson Bercier, who's my partner now, um, and started expanding in 1997 very slowly. Um, the business grew dramatically from 97 till 2007, and then the recession hit. Uh, our business was very successful, like many businesses, after a long struggle that we, we were, were profitable, um, we're making good money, uh, and then the door shut. But mm -hmm. I knew it was going to shut. So I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a big studier of the economy. I do a lot of reading about economic uh, conditions. I saw that the housing market was deteriorating. Housing is a prime driver of many businesses in Southern California, especially home furnishings. So what we did is we decided to retrench at that point. I didn't close stores, but I refinanced all the property that I owned um, fortuitously, paid off all my bills, um, and banked the money. Uh, and sat down with our board and said, okay, everybody in this company that's working hard, focused, and doing a good job will keep their job even if we pay for it out of our pocket. So nobody will be terminated that's doing a great job. Anybody that's really not pitching in and doing a great job will have to leave. Mm -hmm. um, we, were, we converted several jobs to other jobs. We were able to keep 98% of our staff, um, and we, we shrank our ad budget. We shrank our cost of operation, and we persevered. I then saw the market in real estate deteriorating, and I thought thought that to that that we had just had seven or eight good years. We're going to have seven or eight bad years, at the end of which the economy will start growing again. It's better to be a contrarian and to to get more properties when the price is down than it is at full price. So what we started doing is expanding it, um, and um, I wanted to expand so that when the economy was doing well again we would be in a dominant position. Now, so, how did you decide at that point that, say, in eight years or six years or five years, the economy is going to be on, on an upturn again? And, and how did you decide once you're going to go in that direction, which employees were were, were worth keeping, well, which were not working the way you yeah, wanted them to? Well, 
I left that up to every department head. Um, every department head in our business, whether it's warehouse, whether it's facilities, whether it's our CFO, um, whether it's our, our sales managers, uh, we have regional sales managers, all know how to evaluate their people. I have great people, great people. Um, and everybody produces a lot in our business. You know, we've got a very strong entrepreneurial sense uh, for everybody in the company. Um, and I, I, I we, it's really pretty easy to make that evaluation. And, and you know, that it's, it's, well, it's really a justifiable position. If people work hard, we owe them a job. Mm-hmm. If people are kind of sliding, then you have to make that judgment. Fortunately, well, there's only five people that were, that were removed out of uh, 200 people. So it's mm-hmm. 2.5% of our workforce was shaved. Uh, what, what Nelson and I did is uh, we took massive pay cuts ourselves but we're able to hang on. Um, you know, if people work hard and, and do a great job for us, we owe them. So, and so, then my biggest concern truly wasn't for myself and Nelson not for him, himself because we had already had a certain number of successful years and we're okay financially. It's really the people that work, you know, day in, day out in the warehouse, out in the stores, on the trucks that are, you know, that might work month to month day to day and they're really reliant upon their jobs to feed their families we have a responsibility to those people to keep them working as much mm-hmm. as possible okay and then once you decided uh, which people to keep uh, how did you decide the the time factor that the eight, eight six period six years eight years that sort of thing yeah well I, I we study the economy and we read a lot and I knew that the last boom was a certain period of years I thought that this bus would be a certain period of years um, and, and thank God I'm right. I think we're coming out the other side now. It was 2007 when they basically the you know what hit the fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, to eight, <laughs> we went. We we lost 20% of our volume in one year, which was big for us. It was very big. Um, you know, the, and and it was difficult. But we had we had brought our overhead down to such a such a uh, a pace that we were able to survive it. I knew that it would be, you know, a certain number of slack years, and then I thought we would have a buildup in the economy again. Um, and, um, you know, sure enough, we've we've had that happen. Um, the economy is starting to gin again. Uh, unemployment, thank God for everybody out there, is going down. Employment's going up. Uh, I know there's a wage gap, but I think that will be rectified, hopefully, uh, in the near future. So, um, you know, what, I, what I'm hoping is we'll, we'll get more of a full employment economy, um, and California is was the worst of it, and I think eventually we could be the best of it too. Now you're in a situation where they, you have the upturn going. You're a big believer in customer service. Now yes. there are some businesses out there, I won't mention who they are, folks, but there are some who are not as concerned with their interaction with the public. They yeah. want to, you know, sell the product, uh, you know, to sell whatever whatever backup for the product they might have, and that's it. No. Now we're in a situation with you where you're actually looking at the customer in the eye and saying, listen, I want to do this, or what, what would you like to do, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, do, are people surprised when they walk in and, and talk I think to you? a lot of customers are surprised at the positive. You know, the, the truth is we don't just deserve your money because you buy something. We deserve your money because we earn it, because we service you properly, uh, and we really try to do the right thing for the consumer. Look, even if the consumer is a little bit wrong, we're going to do the right thing. We, I think it's incumbent upon us to earn the customer's business by showing them good faith and servicing them properly. If not, we don't really deserve their money. Uh, just because you have a door and you have a product does not mean you deserve somebody's money. You have to prove 
you, you can earn it and you can give them great value and a better than expected outcome. How do you teach the patients that's necessary to do that, that especially in an economy that, that's happening the way it is right now? Well, fortunately, my son and uh, my daughter, who's going to be a doctor, looks like she's taking the MCATs uh, debt, let's say, tomorrow. Uh-oh. She's going to uh, Colorado to take the MCATs. Danielle, I'm very proud of her. Mm-hmm. And Drew, Nate, Jeremy, and many of our younger executives have seen this slow build. They've seen what it takes. My kids remember when I drug, drove a dirty pickup truck to work and made the deliveries on my way home. They remember when Nelson did the same thing. They've seen the sled, steady, slow build. They saw from going from a you know, $200,000 business, well, that was before they were born, but you know, a small business to a bigger to a bigger business. They're real proud of us, but they've seen that it takes dedication, it takes a great associates. It takes, you know, we have hundreds of sit and sleep people out there from, from customer service to warehouse to accounting who care about the business to delivery to sales to sales management. It takes that. It's really a very slow build. There's no such thing for, in our industry, like instant success. You can start a new internet company and you can, you know, maybe it could be a $100 million business overnight. It's not the way it is in the mattress business. <laughs> so a fairly low-tech business that, and where we've been able to be successful. We're very grateful. Well, of course, we're very grateful for uh, Larry Miller being with us here on City Watch or FFC, as we call it. We thank you, and we thank you for listening to us. And remember, uh, believe in yourself. If you don't, no one else will. It's and true. we will see you next time. Great. Thank it's you. It's been so an honor much. being here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.